On Sundays, we've been examining sort of the last words of the New Testament writers to their recipients, dealing with the essentials of our faith. And as I was studying for that, I, I was drawn by God to do a series on the last words of Jesus. <laughs> uh, how important would they be to examine what were the last things that Jesus shared before he left this earth and went back to heaven. And so John is the great gospel that really slows everything down for us and includes more material about what Jesus had to say in those last few days than any of the other gospels. So that's why we're going to be in the gospel of John for the next eight weeks looking at these last words of Jesus and seeing the significance of them. And I want to begin in John twelve forty four, and the reason I want to begin there is that in chapter 13, which we're going to get to tonight, Lord willing, that begins the last words of Jesus to the twelve disciples, sort of his, his little small group, if you will. But what we're going to look at right now is the very last words of Jesus to the public at large, if you will. To, to the general followers and general interested people in, in what he has to say before he narrows it down and just talks to the twelve there in the upper room before he's arrested and goes to the cross. These are the last words that Jesus says, and they have great significance to us, especially when we examine the context that they are in. And I want to point that out before we get into John 12. Because at the end of the chap of John chapter 12, John is reminding us that even though Jesus did many miraculous deeds, many people still did not believe in him. And then when we come down to verse 42, we see where John records, nevertheless, there were some rulers of the synagogue who did believe in him, but they would not publicly come out, in a sense. They would not publicly acknowledge or confess Jesus because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. They didn't want to lose their power, their prestige, their position in the world, if you will. And therefore, they would not publicly acknowledge Jesus. They believed. And at this point, their belief was inferior, if you will. Not that it wasn't genuine, but it, was, it needed to grow. And then John adds this great statement. He said, this is why they didn't come out. This is why they didn't confess Christ. This is why they didn't acknowledge Him. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. And in the original, more isn't even strong enough. It would be better to say rather than. In other words, the higher priority for these synagogue leaders, the higher priority right now in their lives, even though they believe, was the applause and praise and honor of men rather than God. Wow. What a statement to make. And so it reminds us who or what in our lives holds sway, if you will. What what is the biggest determining factors in our lives of our choices, decisions, behavior, and all of that? Because we see here 
that again, the synagogue leaders believed, and I believe that a couple of those maybe would have been even Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, who later on did step up and publicly say, hey, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But at this point, they didn't. And it, would, it was showing, too, the necessity of growth, how we all sort of, you know, we, we can try to be that secret disciple for a while, but eventually, if we keep growing and should be growing, there's going to come a point where we're not going to be ashamed of the gospel and we're not going to be ashamed of Christ. And, and our priority is going to be to please God and to seek the approval of God rather than the approval of men. They weren't there yet. And I, I want to draw that out or start with that because it also, talk about juxtaposition. You have this verse about they're afraid to sort of come out publicly and say anything because they're afraid of losing power, position, and prestige in the synagogue. And notice the very first words of Jesus in verse 44, or, or what it describes. It says, but Jesus shouted out. <laughs> Jesus wasn't afraid of, of who was going to hear and what they were going to hear because he's the way, the truth, and the life, and he was going to speak truth here. And he was never ashamed of of the truth. This phrase, shouted out, also expresses deep emotion. Jesus was an emotional person. And, and he's emotional here. Again, this, this is the last time he's going to say something to the general public before he sort of sequesters himself with the disciples for just the last few hours that he has before the crucifixion. And so what he says here is very, very significant. And here's what he says. The one who believes in me does not believe in me alone, but in the one who sent me. And he who sees me sees the one who sent me. The first thing Jesus is again talking about is the oneness, the unity, if you will, the continuity that he has with the Father. That they are one, distinct persons, but one God. And Jesus even said earlier, you know, the Father and I are one. And he always tried to get his followers to see that. We, we as God, as the Godhead, as the persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're always working in concert, in continuity with each other. And when one does, the other does too. We, we never work against each other. And if you experience one, then you're going to experience the others as well. You cannot experience Jesus Christ without experiencing the Father or the Spirit. You see. And what Jesus is laying down here is the important truth of what really should hold sway in our lives is the Word of God. More than anything else. Because Jesus is saying, look, He's establishing that by first of all saying, if I say it, that means the Father said it too. In, in a sense, here. Because notice what He goes on to say in verse 46. I have come as a light in the world, to give divine illumination, to reveal and impart life, so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. God doesn't want people to be kept in the dark. Therefore, he wants to provide illumination to our lives. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. If anyone, notice, hears my words, 
and does not obey them, I do not judge him. For I have not come to judge, to contend with, if you will, the world, but to save, rescue, deliver the world. And we know this to be true. If you examine the ministry of Jesus, can you ever find a time where Jesus got caught up in long, drawn-out arguments or debates with people and just was always going around contending with people, even though Jesus obviously could have won any argument he was ever in. That was not what Jesus was about. He wasn't about arguing religion and all these kind of things. You you don't see Jesus spending his time doing that. Why? Because that's not what he came to do. He didn't come to contend and fight with people over, you know, their spiritual... But he came to save. And he basically was declaring who he was and giving his teaching and showing his miracles to to confirm who he was. And basically people then had the choice. Do you believe in me or not? But we're not going to sit here and fight about it. That's not what I came to do. I came to save. Now that doesn't mean there's no judgment. Because notice what Jesus goes on to say. And this is where we see the importance of the Word of God holding sway in our lives and where the Word of God should have great priority in our lives. Because he says, The one who rejects me and does not accept my words has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him at the last day. A couple of things here. First of all, I want to go back to the word rejects. It means to disrespect or disregard. Jesus says, if you disrespect me, and notice that Jesus links disrespecting him to, in verse 48, not accepting his words. Notice that. He links those in verse 48. He basically is saying, you want to not respect me? Then don't accept what I say. So you notice now how he's elevating his word. And he even does that here when he says, look, there's coming a day where God's going to judge and God's going to determine everything and decide everything. And he's saying, here's what's going to judge. The word that I have spoken. That is the standard that will always be there from from. When, when God laid down His Word to the time of the judgment itself, it is the Word of God, if you will, that is the standard, the criteria for what determines and decides things in people's lives. That's even true of Christians, though we won't be judged for our sin. When our lives are evaluated and we are to give an account, it will go back to the conformity with the word that Jesus has spoken. And that standard, folks, never changes. The psalmist said, Forever, O Lord, your word has been settled in the heavens. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And so what you have here is the very last thing that Jesus is declaring publicly is better pay attention to my word. Because to disregard and disrespect me 
is to not be accepting of my word. And then he goes on to say in verse 49, for I have not spoken even from my own authority again, on my own. But the Father Himself who sent me has commanded me what I should say and what I should speak. In other words, the Father, in a sense, in Jesus' mission as the servant, was given a specific focus that he was to teach on and preach about and share with people. Of all the things that God the Son could share with us as human beings and reveal to us, there was one primary sort of subject around which everything else that Jesus talked about and taught flowed. And it all comes back to this in verse 50. It comes back to eternal Life. Notice he says, and I know that his commandment, the end result of what God wanted me to focus on, the Father is talking to people about eternal life. And remember, eternal life is not just an unceasing, unending existence. It is describing or referring a distinctive character and quality of life. It is the highest life, uh, life on a higher plane, the kind of life that Jesus described in John 10.10. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. It's not just the physical, biological life. In fact, it's not the word bios in the Greek language. It's the word zoe. It's not just describing someone's heart beating and physically alive and breathing. That's not eternal life. Eternal life is to know God, the one and only God. That's eternal life. And to know Him in such an intimate way that we become thoroughly acquainted with Him, not only as we accept Him, but then as we walk with Him every day. And it is that fellowship then that we have with this God that we have a relationship with that in a sense rises our life up to a whole other level to where we can live on a different plane because we know God. That was what the word of Jesus centered around. And thus the things I say, I say just as the father told me. Again, he's saying we we work together here. And everything I'm saying to you, if the Father was right here too, that's what He would say. If if the Spirit was, He would say the same thing. We're all working together, and here's the bottom line. My Word should have primacy in your life. For it is this Word that will judge you one day. Not me, but the Word that I have spoken. So those are the last words that Jesus shares publicly, in a sense, with the general public. Now beginning in chapter 13, as I said, now the words that Jesus begins to share, he shares only with that group of 12 men who have been with him for the last three years. And what is it now that Jesus wants to leave them with? What's he want the lasting impression uh, to be in their minds and hearts before he goes to the cross. Let's examine it tonight. We're just going to look at the first 17 verses, Lord willing, of John chapter 13. Just before the Passover feast, 
Which, again, in God's timing, isn't that amazing? That is the commemoration of God's provision. The Passover feast. That God provided the blood and the sacrifice so that when the death angel passed through Egypt, he would pass over the houses where the blood had been applied to the doorposts. And it even goes back to me even further when you think about God providing for himself a sacrifice because isn't that exactly what Abraham said to Isaac when he's taking Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him and Isaac's looking around going, I don't see a sacrifice. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. And so in the Passover, you have this picture of here he is, the Lamb of God. And God once again has provided the sacrifice, the the lasting sacrifice, the full and final sacrifice for sin. And here he sits with his disciples. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? Notice the Bible says he knew that his time had come to depart from this world to the Father. He knew that. He was aware of what was happening and how close all of this was. And by the way, even Jesus knew that when he departed this world, that wasn't the end. He was just going to go from this place back to that place to be with the Father. And folks, that's the same hope and promise you and I have who are in Christ. When we depart this world, we're just going to be with Jesus. That We just go from one place to the other, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And Jesus knew that as well as his time. Notice what else it says about him. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Several things there. First of all, having loved It means to have a desire for, longing for. Do you realize that Jesus desires you? (laughs) He longs for you. Think about that. That, That's the kind of love that he has. And then it says, having loved his own. He's describing these disciples and he's describing, I think, in the future, all of us who believe in him as becoming one with him, uh, as belonging to him, as uniquely his own. He, He looks at his children, if you will, his followers as his own, taking responsibility for us, if you will. And then it says, he loved them to the very end. It simply means he loves them continuously. There is no time where Jesus stopped loving them, and there is no time where Jesus stops loving us. As I said earlier, we even see this in the passage here. Even though Jesus knew that Peter would deny him and Judas would betray him, he still washed their feet. He was still demonstrating love to these men, despite what they were going to do. That's who he is. And he will never stop loving in that way. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that he should betray Jesus. Because Jesus knew 
that the Father had handed all things over to him and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he got up from the meal, removed his outer clothes, took a towel, tied it around himself, poured water into a wash basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel he had wrapped around himself. He alone did this. Now here's the point I want to make. I want to go back to verse 3. This was all based, I believe, in a sense, the foundation of it, on what he knew. Notice that. Everything that he did flowed out of what he knew. Now think about that. Ponder that. Consider that. Meditate on that. Not just tonight, but maybe for a couple days. Here's what I mean by that. How could Jesus, the Lord of glory, the one who created the universe, sustains even... How could he humble himself in such a way, become this household servant, and stoop to wash the dirty, dusty, smelly feet of his disciples? How could he do that? Because he knew who he was. He knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. And so therefore, it wasn't a problem for him. See, so what the Bible's teaching us is when you and I have a problem, in a sense, humbly serving and truly laying down our lives for others, it's because we really don't know who we are. Because if we really knew who we were, we'd be okay with humbly serving and laying down our lives for others. You see, I, I know that, that that almost seems strange. It's like, well, but, but he's so great. Yeah. And he knew that. But that, just because he knew that, didn't prevent him from stooping to humbly serve and being the servant of all servants. See? That, that, that didn't get in the way. In fact, that, that was why he was able to do it. When you and I know truly who we are in God, and we know where we've come from and where we're going, then it's much easier for us to, in a sense, sacrifice and give up in this life for the life to come and, and to lay down our lives, whatever, because we know, we're not living for the here and now. We're living for what's to come. And that's exactly what Jesus modeled here. So he comes to Simon Peter after he probably washed a couple of the other disciples' feet. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not understand what I am doing now, but you will understand these things later on. Now, that's an important principle. Jesus even says, look, Peter, don't even try to wrap your mind completely around what's going on here now. But come the resurrection and after the, these things will all start to become clear. You'll, you'll begin to grasp and comprehend. And I want that to be an encouragement to you because sometimes God works in our lives in a way where we don't understand all that God's doing now, but God will make it clear and we will grasp it and comprehend more of it later on down the road. That's where our faith has to come in. That's where we just have to trust. And what Peter should have done if he truly was calling Jesus Lord was saying, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll trust that. Let's just keep going here and, and I'll trust that it'll all work out and I'll figure it out later. No, not Peter. Because Peter's like us. That, that's not good enough. So Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. No fellowship, no partnership. We can't be partners, Peter, if I don't wash your feet. We can't be in fellowship with each other unless 
you let me wash your feet. Speaking of this spot cleansing, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. Simon then said after the world, then Lord, wash not only my feet, also my hands and my head and give me a complete bath then God. And Jesus replied, the one who has been bathed, fully cleansed, needs only to wash his feet. Spot cleansing. Okay. Full cleansing, spot cleansing. Jesus is differentiating the two. And notice what he says, but is completely clean, purified by God. That one-time total renovation from the inside out that God does in our life when we accept Christ as our Savior. Paul calls it in the book of Romans being justified. So therefore, what Jesus is saying is then none of us ever need to go back and take that full bath again, if you will. We don't need to be completely cleansed again. But what we do need, (coughs) excuse me, because we still have that fallen sinful nature. And we're living in a fallen world and we're still going to sin. We still need that spot cleansing in order to be partners with Jesus and to stay in fellowship with Jesus. That's what Jesus here is trying to get them to see. Because he says, the one who has been bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And notice what he says. And you disciples are clean. In other words, Jesus making a, a, a tremendous statement here. He's saying to these disciples, you have come to believe in me as your Savior, and therefore you have been purified by God on the inside. Now all you need is your feet cleaned every once in a while. You you don't need the total renovation again. But notice what he goes on to say. But not every one of you has been completely clean. Because Jesus knew the one who was going to betray him, for this reason he said, not every one of you is clean. So in other words, 11 of you are okay before God. One of you is not. And that very clearly to me teaches me and tells me Judas was never a believer. If he would have been a believer, then he would have been cleansed the way Jesus is describing here. He never got purified by God on the inside, you see, to where Judas only needed the spot cleansing as the other disciples did. So when Jesus had washed their feet and put his outer clothing back on, he took the place at the table again and said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you do so correctly, for that is what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. The word ought means it's a responsibility of ours before God. It's not a, it's not a negotiation thing like, well, you know, no, no. Before God, those of us who have been clean before God, we are responsible to wash one another's feet. Now, many people, when they come to this passage, say, okay, so what Jesus is teaching is that I just need to give my life and be a humble servant to others. That's true, but that's not all that Jesus is teaching here. I think in the context, what Jesus is also saying is, you all need to be willing to lay down your lives for each other. Because I'm going. 
and you desperately need to, to come together and learn to wash each other's feet. I mean, he's getting ready to start this new entity called the church. And he desperately needs the foundation of the church, those apostles and those first Christians, to truly be people who truly love each other and are willing to lay down their lives for each other. And that doesn't just mean, folks, oh, I'm, I'm willing to die for you if the, if the opportunity presents itself. If it's a situation where it's like, it's me or you, it's me. Yeah, that's not... When he says lay down your lives, it, it means to give up ourselves for others day in, day out. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 15. For I have given you an example, a model, a pattern you should do just as I have done for you. Not any less. Just as. It, it needs to correspond to what I have done for you. Clear example. And so what we have at the end of chapter 12, I believe, is Jesus reminding us of the power and authority of His Word. When we come to chapter 13, and now he's interacting with his disciples, I think he's reminding us of the power and authority of his example. And these are two things, I think, again, then based on what we learned uh, at the end of, of John 12 about the religious leaders in the synagogue and, and loving the praise of men more than the praise of God, that if there's two things that should hold sway in our lives at all times, it should be the Word of God and the example that God has laid down for us. Two very powerful things. His word and his example. In a sense, Jesus is saying to all of us, look, I laid down the footprints. I, I put my feet right there and I made an impression. And all I ask of you who come after me is just care enough to look down and see where I have walked and just Follow my footprints. Put your feet right there where my feet have went. That's all I have. Follow me. Follow in my footsteps. Follow in my footprints. And no one could ever say to Jesus, well, Jesus, I, I didn't know where your footprints went. I, I didn't know what I should do. Jesus said, I've given you the model and pattern to follow. It's not that we don't know. We're just not either looking for the footprints of Jesus, or we're not just putting our feet right in there and following Him every step of the way. He ends where we're going to end tonight with these words. He said, I tell you the solemn truth. The slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent as a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you understand these things, you will be blessed if you do them. A couple things in closing tonight. First of all, in verse 17, Jesus says, if you understand these things. It doesn't just mean to apprehend something or comprehend. It means to appreciate. In other words, Jesus is saying, do you appreciate what's going on here? 
Do you truly appreciate it? Are you taking stock of it? Is it affecting you? Is it moving you? Is it, is it maybe going to cause some change in your life? That's an important principle. Because in a sense, we can, we can intellectually assent to something or understand it just from an intellectual point of view. That doesn't mean we truly appreciate it. See what Jesus is saying there? Do you, do you appreciate what's going on here? To the point where you're regarding it, you're paying attention to it, you're carefully observing it. Because he says, if you do, you will be blessed. You will experience spiritual prosperity if, if, not just that you appreciate it, but that you appreciate it enough to do it. And by the way, this word do in the Greek language means practice, practice, practice. So Jesus is, in a sense, just calling us to discipleship. That's what a disciple is. One who learns by practice, practice, practice. Jesus says, you're not going to get this lesson in the school of God once. No. We all have to be willing to enter the classroom of God every day and practice the same thing that Jesus gave us the example of. Getting up from the table, laying aside our garment, putting on that towel, which is that service apron, if you will. That, that's a symbol that goes back to ancient times. I think I've shared this with you before. That's why, having <clears throat> worked at Starbucks for a while, sorry to endorse some publicness, but that's why when Howard Schultz started Starbucks, and other places do it too, the baristas and the people who are there wear these aprons. Because aprons have always been a symbol that goes back into history of one who's supposed to be there to just humbly serve. Well, when Jesus lays aside his garments and in a sense wraps that towel on, Jesus, Jesus wrapping that that apron of service, if, if you will, around, and he's stooping to wash the feet of the disciples. And he's doing it, obviously, not just for some physical thing, like, yeah, you guys need cleaner feet to be around me. There was much spiritual symbolism and, and, and spiritual truth connected with what Jesus did. Because he's reminding them, look, 11 of you have been cleaned by God. But because you're still in the world and you still got the fallen sinful nature, you need that spot cleaning in order to stay partnering with me and staying in fellowship with me. Which again, Jesus is teaching here a very important spiritual truth. That when we sin or disobey or whatever, we don't lose our salvation. We don't, we don't lose the relationship we have with God. What we lose out on is the partnership and the fellowship that we have with God. And what restores that is that spot cleaning. Confession of sin and allowing God to do the spot cleaning and cleansing that needs to be done in that particular area of our life. Then fellowship can be restored and on we go to continue to live and serve and 
all of that again. That's what Jesus is teaching here. So, as we start this series out tonight, seven more weeks to go, here's the first thing Jesus leaves with us. And that is this. What should hold the greatest sway in our lives is the power and authority of God's Word. The Word that will judge one day. And the power and authority of the example that Jesus has given. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being just such an amazing God. God, we have been reminded of so many things tonight. But God, I... I want to leave us with this. I want all of us to be reminded as we leave this place tonight that Jesus loves us. And beyond so many other things, that means He desires us. He longs for us. May that thought and that truth change even our approach to God. He looks at us as His own. We are all uniquely His own. We belong to Him. No wonder He loves and cares about us so much. And then, The Bible says He loves us to the very end. Continuously. Never ceasing. God, what love. May we be encouraged by this love tonight. And may we be stirred and inspired, God, to allow Your Word to hold great weight and sway in our lives. And may we allow the example that you clearly laid down for us to also have great authority and power in our lives. May we ponder and consider and meditate and think about what you did that night with your disciples. Instead of calling your disciples together and saying, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go to the cross soon and I'm going to die and I need some encouragement and, you know, be there for me. It was all about what he could do for others. That humble servant. The one who was, even to the end, laying down his life for everyone else. God, may we be more like Jesus and following those footprints that you've laid down. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, folks, looking forward to the next seven weeks. Thanks for being here. We'll see you on Sunday. Oh, thank you. It only took a look, didn't it? 
Real quick before you leave. So in two weeks from tonight, it just happens that Tuesday night Bible study falls on St. Patrick's Day. So in two weeks, Regina wanted me to announce that we're going to have special green desserts that night. So if you'd like to be a part of bringing something green, and no, we're not talking about spinach, because that's not a dessert. Bring something green and sweet with you that night. No, they can't bring spinach. That's not good. No, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Thanks, guys. We'll see you later.